Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. This is Richmond Biz Live coming to you from the beautiful studios in downtown Richmond, Virginia, WLE News Talk 990. The show is Richmond Biz Live, and if you are a business owner or entrepreneur, this is the place to be right now. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about the show, what we do. If you're ongoing listening, you've heard this before, but it doesn't make any difference because basically what we're here about is to help those business owners who have been working for years and making sacrifices and they finally have said, I've had enough and I want to get something out of this. How do, what's my exit plan? What's my way out? Do I sell it? Do I liquidate it? Do I give it to the kids? Do I take it public, et cetera, et cetera. Our job on this show is to help you look at all those alternatives and make the, one, make the decision that's best for you. But also is that for those people out there who are entrepreneurs doing a startup, this is way, be, this is way beyond where you are right now. Everything that we talk about here is essential for a startup to work, Okay. So what we do is every week we share years of practical research and experience gained from growing and selling our own businesses. Our methods are based upon the concept of self-financing. It's one thing to be Google, go to Silicon Valley and get a, you know, $150 million would be nice. On the other hand, what happens when you max out the credit card, you take the second on the house, and that's all the money you got? Uh, how do you build a company there? That's what we're about because that's where most of us are at, Okay. And we are a team. It's just not myself. I'm William Eastman, the executive producer of the show and managing partner for the Growth Works. But we are a team of thought leaders, people who are recognized either internationally, nationally, or locally in their areas of expertise, such as finance, branding, strategy, marketing, sales, productivity, uh, technology, and people. And most importantly, everyone is and has been a successful entrepreneur over the years. So therefore, we eat our own dog food. So my recommendation to you is to be here every Friday at 12.06. And what we'll do is we'll give you 54 minutes of the most significant information that you're going to glean this week. And the way that you can do that, you've got several options. One is you can watch. Go to Richmond Biz Live. That's Richmond, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E.com. And when you go to the homepage, you'll see watch, click, and you'll be over the cam that's coming into the studios. You click the listen button, and an alternative to listening to live broadcast would be to stream it over the internet, or you can join the conversation. And the way you do that is dial us up, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or for those of you who are into slick things, 844.bizlive, okay? And so that's what we're going to be doing this week, um, this season. This is season three of the show. Season one was about the 80% companies, those companies out there that are struggling to survive in a current business environment. They're trying to find some way of, of obtaining break-even and staying there. And that was season one. And by the way, if you go to the website, richmondbizlive.com, and you hit the uh, shows button on the top left, uh, up on top on the navigation bar, then you'll see seasons one, two, and three. 
Pull up season one and everything you needed to know about how to get your company to break even is there. It talks about each week what we covered and you'll see a, you'll see a hot link for a podcast. You can download that show. Uh, season two was about those companies out there that are the 15 percenters. And what I mean by 15%, they're not the 80 in that they're making money and they're at the break even, but they're saying to themselves, okay, what do I do now? What do I do next? And so season two was all about 15 percenters and how do I basically break through and create a market dominating firm. And if you need that, same thing, go to the website, richmondbizlive.com, go to shows, go to season two, and there you'll find all of the information plus uh, the, the podcast where you can download. And this is season three. And season three, we split into two, is that when you become a five percenter, you become one of those companies that's a market leader, a market dominator, and you're at the top, you're at the pinnacle, which is what the 5%, the elite companies represent. In the research literature, you are known as a high-impact firm. You're the type of company that every community wants to come in and build a facility, kind of like what's going on right now with Stone Brewery here in Richmond area. They are a high-impact firm, and a high-impact firm is a firm that's got a lot of growth and a lot of growth that's turning into tax dollars and a lot of growth that's turning into increase in payroll. Well, in the five percenters, you have two choices. One is, let's do this again. Or number two, it's time to get out. What you can't do is get to the 5% and hold that as a position. It will not happen. You will decay and move from there. And so last week and next week, we are going to talk about buying and selling a business. You're there and you went out. This week and uh, two weeks ago and two weeks coming, we're talking about, okay, I want to reinvent the firm one more time. So today's show, who we have in the studios, we have Linda Heath from Financial Holographics. We have Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Management Consulting. And we have Ben Meredith from Ben Meredith Consulting, and he's working with Sandler Training. And so with that, good morning, Linda. Good seeing good you again. Good morning, Bill. So glad to be here. How are you doing? Uh, I'm rolling now. You know, rolling. that uh, when you get a when you get a large cappuccino with an extra shot of espresso and you're two-thirds of the way down, it rolls. Ah, you need a calf pal like that forensic scientist on NCIF. <laughs> After the show. After the show. Well, I had the opportunity this past week to go to um, a conference put on by Kiter. They're the largest independent CPA firm in the central Virginia area. Great firm, been around pushing 40 years, not quite. And uh, they put together a panel in the morning of financing sources covering what we're talking about. They put together... Um, a panel in the afternoon of legal uh, lawyers, mm -hmm. but they were focused on the legal issues that come up when you pursue different financing avenues and in your corporate structure, which I thought was a great combination. And I picked up some new things. And uh, what triggered for me is uh, if you can picture Venn diagrams, you remember the oh, old yeah, geometry yeah, 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 algebra, yeah. you've got one circle here and you've got another circle here and where they overlap. Yeah, you, it, was, it was the pre-algebra class in fifth grade. Go. There That's we go. That's what it was. Well, in the Venn diagram of life, um, some things that they talked about and what we've been talking about overlapped. And so what I wanted to touch on is circle number one would be some different sources of this funding. They talked about friends and family, and although our breakout yeah. companies um, are past that, you know, Stone would not be doing friends and family, but I want to touch no. on just the ladder that right. you climb for financing. And then the other side of that is how do you get top dollar for a company, which is what you're talking about on, on the other weeks. Yep. And where those two overlap is the question, hmm. what is my company worth? That's right. Right? That's right. Yes. And It actually applies to both. Oh, it does. Because, in fact, if you don't know what it's worth, 
my guarantee is, well, I, I'll put it this way. The data is that, is that owners that sell their businesses, only 20% of them are happy with the final sale price, that they feel like it is a payback for all they've done. And part of the problem is they never understood how the business was valued right. and they have totally unrealistic expectations for exactly. what it's really worth. So it really was payback for what they had done, or maybe it's yeah. more payback for what they hadn't built hadn't into done. the business. Hadn't done, yeah. And their expectations were, were not realistic. Um, but I thought, uh, you know, the, and the whole key you just touched on it was the value of your business is in the eye of the beholder. Whether they're looking to lend to you mm -hmm. or invest in the company or buy the company, it's not what you think it's worth to you. That is right. Yeah, no matter how much time you put in and how much money you put into that business, it's only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. Well, and one of the things that people go astray is that they want the high dollar price for the business, but they've left it in such conditions that the buyer is going to have to put in at their amount of blood, sweat, and tears, just like the founder did. And they're, they're, it's, it's an either or. At that level, when you're selling that business, if they have to put in blood, sweat, and tears, they're not paying you a whole lot for the privilege because they could take that right. same amount of money, that million dollars you want, and put it in publicly traded companies where they, they could make their decisions and choices. They have diversification. Mm -hmm. They can decide whether they, they want growth or dividends. And those companies are very carefully monitored and managed. So, Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm completely with you there. Um, so what I did, I, I did send you a um, – and I know I'm, I'm we're sitting here on radio and I'm showing you a form, but I sent yeah. you – a small schedule that you can post on the website, and they and can I'll do play that this with afternoon. this issue. The, it's it's an extract of uh, something that's in the public domain. But at the bottom, you spread some financials for your business, looking backwards, starting with this year and going backwards. Some add backs, some deductions based right. on what a buyer would would expect. And I would encourage anybody to use their CPA to help them fill it out. And then there's a yellow box to halfway down. And they can play with different risk ratings. And the descriptions, the amounts and the descriptions mm -hmm. are at the bottom of the page. And um, I printed out for your viewing pleasure, which you can okay. also post. You know, I, I ran a model on a company that um, at 6%, the company was worth, it's only 6% risk factor. In other words, right. risk is a discount. So at 6%, the company might be worth four four, almost $5 million. At a 20% risk, one7 huge swing that's a right. life that's that difference that is and it's in how you build the business so let's talk about um i wanted to touch on some of the things i picked up from these guys sources of financing and there were there was i'm not gonna we're not gonna educate them on how to use these different ones right but it was the zingers that they threw out in this conference that i wanted to throw out there so one of the conversations was you go to friends and family they believe in you they have money they know you can fulfill your dream, and you're the passionate entrepreneur. And they gave the example Aunt Matilda. So Aunt Matilda puts $40,000 or $100,000 into your business, and she only expects 3%. You say, I can give you 3%, but everybody expects this to be the multi, multi-million dollars. That's right. Right? Right. So you, you're you the founder. You keep the 97%. She's put in $100,000. she has gotten 3%. And uh, we ought to do a shark tank diagnosis one one of these broadcasts. Um, if you divide the hundred her hundred thousand by her three percent, you've basically said that company is worth three point three million dollars. The value of the company, not the revenues. Oh, not interesting. The, that's, uh, I mean, that's what you said. If three percent. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm with you because typically gotcha. we don't 
when we when we look at a company and we try to compute what it's worth, we don't take that mindset. That's an interesting that, way of looking at it. And that was it. the point exactly. Yeah. So what they said happens is everybody's happy until the company is somewhat successful or very successful and it has to go to the next round and they go to the angel right. or the private investment, the private placement. And those guys come in and come <laughs> value the company and they're scratching their heads. They're going, this company isn't worth $3 million yet. We and might I get want, it there. Right, and, and I want but half. We haven't gotten it there. Right. right. And, and by the way, just some research background, I'm sure I talked about it sometime this year, is you only want to do this twice. In other words, if you want to retain some control of the company, you, you can only do this twice. And right. what I'm saying twice is one shot at angels, one shot at VCs, venture capital, mm -hmm. if that's the route you're going to go. Because if you go more than twice, your ownership is going to be so diluted that a become, company comes right. becomes successful and, and the new owners, whoever they are, are not honorable people, you'll be mm -hmm. on the street watching your company take off right. and not enjoying any of the fruits of it. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that what they were saying is in, in that scenario where you go the friends and family, you don't get any guidance, you all right. make up the math as you go along, you and Aunt Matilda end up with a lot of hurt feelings as well. You know, she and, and they, they were saying if you don't do it right, then you're, these friends and family who trusted you get shafted. Right. Shall we say, to be polite. Right. You didn't do it on purpose. You didn't do it on purpose. But it happened. But that's because you weren't purposeful about it. Yeah. Um, they also touched, and the, the key with the angels and the accredited investors, they talked about that. Um, your friends and family don't have to be accredited investors, but that's the problem. They don't know to ask the right questions right. to send you down a path of expectations. You move into the next level, and there are very, very expensive reporting, a lot of audited reports, and all that money you have been shortcutting on having good accounting and good you know, all good sales systems and good um, with Andy's, the operational yeah, the operational all part. the shortcuts you've taken to wing it as you go along now becomes very expensive to put together the documentation of your business that you need to get uh, those angels and venture. My experience would be is if I had to do this, and, and most of the listeners know I'm a VP of a manufacturing facility, in Southwest Virginia, part of the services our company offers. We couldn't afford to do that. Right. So you don't. We don't. If we, get, if we had to do activity-based costing mm -hmm. for the whole process oh, yeah. in, in operations, we could not get it done. So when you're smaller, you start doing things right, and you can add incrementally and build. Um, then they, they moved into crowdfunding, and that was great. And I'd like to come yeah, back to that. We, we got we got, we got to talk about that because, because where we are in the show in this season is you're going to reinvent the firm. I mean, if you're listening today, your thing is – that was fun. I want to do it again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, typically when you get a financing in a company, it's not when you're hurting. It's not right. when the sales are not there. This is typically when you go, I must have some outside capital mm -hmm. because not only do you have to build a new thing, you got to market and advertise it. Right. And because simply because you make it, you know, the, you know, it's not the field they, they of dreams. There you go. I yeah, love that. The, it, yeah. the field of dreams. I, if you have a website, you know what I'm talking about. That was Build a it and they won't come. movie. It is made up. Well, we, I don't want to even try to educate the audience on crowdfunding because that is so complex. Well, but you definitely have to come back and do that because I, I want to hear well, about I've got, it. We've got a resource. So I've been looking into it and I thought I can't do it justice in the time frame we have. Um, and I don't, they need to do their own homework. You can go out there and start right. looking at sites and comparing and so forth and get yourself educated. That's their responsibility, our listeners' responsibility. But one of the things I picked up that I didn't know before from one of the attorneys, he said, look, there are two kinds of crowdfunding and people are getting them mixed up. 
And the crowdfunding that's part of the JOBS Act, and that was intended, is to loosen the restrictions in certain cases so that you don't necessarily have to put out a full private placement memorandum with the auditor reports. It lightens up some of the reporting. But what they were saying is you do not want to go to unaccredited investors. And just to define that term for our listeners, the government has set standards and said that people who buy closely held stock in smaller companies, not publicly traded, there's uh-huh. no market for what they buy, need to be treated fairly. And therefore, the company has reporting requirements, and you have to vet or determine that the people looking at your company, looking at your offer, are qualified to make right. these complex decisions. In other words, if it's Aunt Matilda with 100 grand and that's a retirement package, she's right. not going to get certified. Having the money, that's, that's right. Having the money doesn't make you accredited. That's right. So, but they did say there is a crowdfunding model out there where you can sell a prototype by going out to just anybody. They send you the money, and they, called, they kept referring to it as selling T-shirts. So you're selling something to people, and you're going to use the money to build your business and roll out bigger. But that's right. a little bit different from the crowdfunding that um, we've all heard about in the job, yep. the Jobs Act and certified accreditation. And just so everybody knows, we we attempted to do an IPO up in Canada a few years ago, and it cost us almost seventy five thousand dollars to get all the paperwork and everything done. And then we looked at it, we said. What if we'd only raised 70000 <laughs> So we said, you know what? Right. It's a little early. It's not what people think. There are There is money out there, but they are not waiting, waiting to invest in your bright idea. They want to invest yeah. in your track record. That's right. And so we've got just a minute. We'll touch on how to get top dollar for your company, which is the other circle over here. Right. And we'll pick that up next time. Okay. Um, I had a business partner in the 90s. I'll call it the Gary Nelson story. And... Um, when we started, it was construction, contracting-related, specialized niche data centers. And he said, Linda, we will have a way of life. And uh, he was a Yankee. I was a Southern Belle, so he intimidated the tar out of me. And I went, okay, we will have a way of life. And we consciously built procedures and documented everything that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, some things happened, and we didn't get to sell the business. But that's what we have really been trying to talk about in all these seasons for our listeners. Right. But it has a huge impact on what your business is really worth to an outside party, and it shows up in the chart. So if you can get the um, spreadsheet I sent you yep. posted, I'll, I'll get then that we posted. can play with that and talk about that next time, and I'll see if I can get Fred okay. Bryant from Wellforge to call in because he's all about the crowdfunding. Well, in fact, um, in our on our shows on buying and selling the Every Other Week, uh, Rick Roseberg has hit on that hard, is that one of the reasons he was able to sell his company right. was because he built it he built it into a franchise model, not because they bought the franchise model, but it forced them to systematize everything so anybody could pick up the business and do it. If you and had any type of business acumen and are willing to work hard, mm-hmm. you could be successful in that business. Well, that cycles us back to something we talked about. The very, very first show was the E-Myth, which talks about think in that franchise in your business, whether you plan to or not. Well, I think you, I think you captured it the best, Linda. I, it was in season two. You said there's three ways of looking at a business in order. Are you are you bankable? Mm-hmm. Are you scalable? Mm-hmm. And are you sellable? Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, so, you know, if you think about it, are you bankable? Can you go to the bank? Do you have any type of credit whatsoever to take care of the bad days? Are you scalable, which is this whole issue of if the owner's not there, is there is there a business? Mm-hmm. And then are, are you saleable? Well, if you do the first two, you have odds to document are. It. Yeah. Right. The odds are you can probably sell the business, so. Good. Well, you, thank you, got, you, so you got much. this last season. 
Thank you so much for um, jumping in on that. I'm Linda Heath, Financial Holographics. They can reach me through the show. Or oh. just Google Linda Heath. I've got a LinkedIn page. Yep. You go to the, go to the homepage, click team. Then you see Linda's beautiful face there with her headphones on. And, <laughs> or, <not>. um, <laughs> or click. Oh, yeah. And click it and you'll be at Financial Holographics. So with that, appreciate it, Linda. Looking forward to seeing you in two weeks. And we'll be back. I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Please join me in a panel of business experts at Richmond BizLive Talk Radio on WLEE News Talk 990. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Shuler, for a free consultation on the web at MetamorphosisMC. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live, richmondbizlive.com. You can join the show at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.bizlive. And you can join Mr. Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Management Consulting. And Andy's back to the show. Good seeing you again, Andy. Glad to see you again, sir. Hey, by the way, did you, how'd you like that, uh, the, the, the advertisement in grid? Oh man, it was fantastic! Yeah, everybody uh, should go really look at that. It's very, very yeah. So uh, for those all of you in the Richmond area, if you don't, if you haven't picked up the Grid Magazine, which I believe came out yesterday, what you'll find in there is an ad for the show and talks about what we're doing. So don't miss it. So anyway, we're, Andy's here. Um, Andy's been. This is his third season, and in season one, Andy was talking more about processes. Season two, Andy was talking about productivity, and now in season three, Andy's focus is on new product and service development. In other words, if your decision is not to sell and you want to reinvent the firm, one of the places that starts is what are you going to add to your product and service line? And Andy's been talking about how to do that in an intelligent way so you don't, you don't lose your butt. <laughs> and so, Andy, where are we today? Well, uh, we're going to sort of look at where the market research is and how we go ahead and take that and put it all together and attract customers at the end and put it into production. Okay. All right. And so for everybody, for everybody's attention on this one is understand is that what you'll hear from us, you'll never hear from us, I guess the way to say it <laughs> is you never develop anything on spec. In other words, you go, you're back in your office, you get your employees together and you build something. And then when you're done, you go, all right, let's go sell it. Everything that we're talking about here is you bring your suppliers and your customers inside and you co-develop. And there's two reasons for it. One is you get better thinking. Number two is that if they bring the customer inside, they just might buy it. That's right. Imagine you don't have to go out there and get into a price game and figure out how to put this new thing on sale because you can't sell it because nobody knows about it. Yeah, or no. nobody really wants it because there's there's no nothing for them <laughs> oh, to use God. it for, and that yeah. happens all the time. It does. So okay, so so today our show we want to go ahead and uh, take the market research data that we developed before and go ahead and determine. What does the customer really want from this? And look at it and develop a product 
and then say, you know, we really need to add a 1% value above that so that we can assure that uh, we can maintain market dominance. So what, what do you mean by 1%? 1% is where you go in and you say, okay, I have this idea. The market said, okay, this is what I want. And the 1% is I'm going to give you a little extra something to make it more appealing to you. Okay. And understand that when Andy says that 1%, it's not necessarily anything to cost you money. No. It, it could be the, the, the experience around buying or using the particular item we're discussing. But what he is talking about is adding that little bit more that's kind of the guarantee that you're better than everybody else and that people will buy. Yeah, it's the value plus to value your plus. product right. is how I look at it. But don't think that this costs money, please. No, 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 no. That's that's the, the wrong thing to think. So, you know, when we look at this, uh, you know, what is this product development? And it's the process of transforming an idea of the possible market opportunity into a new product or service. Uh, it can also be a continuous improvement of the new product. An example here is Little Giant Ladder came out with a ladder that was had very flexible, lightweight and all that. But in the last year or so, they put some rollers on them so it's easy to drag across the floor. Mm -hmm. They've added additional um, components to it that allows you actually to get to the, the top rung and you can actually have a drink uh, on the ladder while you're there. So this is where you look at uh, improving it and, and giving that 1% over what, because nobody else has that. That's right. And it and I bet you it didn't cost them very much money no. to come up with those ideas. And I bet you they talked to users. Yes. And users said, you know, if you did this, it'd be much more convenient. Yeah. And a lot of it's not rocket science ideas. It's just common sense. But most people get so involved in their work and producing their work, they don't take the time to think or their mind, uh, unfortunately, uh, doesn't think outside of its box. Well, you know, we as owners, sometimes we, we are at fault here is that we don't expect people doing the work to think. They're, right. they're there to make stuff as opposed to going, gee, if what would you add to this product to make it more saleable? Yeah. The, the, the employees might have some pretty good ideas. Oh, yeah. And so uh, the other things that we want to look at is, uh, you know, taking um, ideas because things are constantly changing. And I guess an example of this would be the personal computer. Over the years, it has constantly uh, needs of change and development of technology. So they keep improving the product. So in producing new products, you can't buy the old stuff anymore. You know, right. just like going from an, uh, an eight inch disc to a thumb drive, you know, and everything in between, you know, Oh, you remember those days of the eight inch <laughs> floppies. Well, actually I saw a TV show last night where they had the eight inch. Oh, disc. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right on. And they did it for security purposes because nobody <laughs> had the equipment to, to use it. I remember our first computer when I was in the Coast Guard was a Wang, and it uh, had an 8-inch floppy. Yeah, that's uh, right. What a thing. Yeah. And also you look at, you know, where you take an existing product that you have and you go ahead and modify it for a new market. So we had the PC, but now if you go in um, uh, and you could look at maybe an iPad or – Take, for instance, the LED when a uh, light-emitting diode, when it first came out, it's a little light. They used to put on printed circuit boards to say the circuit board was on. But now it's your taillights and headlights on automobiles. Yeah. You know, and it's just amazing how you can take this past stuff and constantly look at new applications and uh, due to changes in technology and stuff. 
So, you know, what are the benefits we get out of doing this? Uh, it creates new business opportunities for it. Uh, uh, it maintains an established market dominance for us so we can grow and continue a livelihood. And it boosts the productivity and profitability of not only our business, but our affiliates. As you stated earlier, yeah. we all get involved in doing this. And we're meeting or exceeding the needs and expectations of our customers with a product or service that positively enhances our customers' life experience. And that's very important because if it doesn't impact their life experience, they're not going to buy it. Right. If, you've, if you're selling to consumers, it's all, it's all about that. If you're selling to businesses, then how does that affect either profitability? How does it affect profitability, whether it's a revenue enhancer or it's a cost reduction? Right. And I guess you could look at something if, if you had a, a bottle of wine and it was totally sour, you know, you probably couldn't sell it. But if you have a good tasting body of wine, just think about that for a minute. Well, imagine, imagine the high quality vinegar maybe you could sell. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, so in order to do this, we have to look at some steps in, in going through this process. And so um, the internal or international standard organization, ISO, basically has developed some and identified some uh, phases that you go through okay. to develop products. And this includes concept development, mm -hmm. architecture development, detailed design, testing, and product transition into manufacturing. So if we sort of look at these, you can say, well, what is the concept development? This is where you take the uh, initial uh, information that we got from the um, studies that we did and the marketing studies and get together with people in your firm, your suppliers, your consultants, uh, distributors, anybody that you're going to have as a team person and come up and take that and analyze it and then come up with a product for concept. Then after you decide that, you look and say, well, now what can we do to add a 1% value factor right. to this right. that is over and above what our customers expect to really capture them so that it entices them right. so that we can become dominant in our market. And if you want to Google something right now, one is I, ISO is pretty good to go to if you're looking for some international standards uh, because a lot of large corporations go to ISO certification, yes. which doesn't affect our audience at all, but good place to go. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I'd i heartily recommend going uh, to ISO, and I the other thought just passed me by. Okay. Yeah, well, but, I guess but, the caffeine is slowing down now. Yeah, but, but the reason you should do that is not that you're necessary for your business, but use what is proven to be exactly. successful. And just modify it to fit you, but exactly. you know, because the steps are kind of, the steps are kind of general in the, in the whole ISO process. So, so once you come up with this, you develop the architecture, and then you can then take this into your company and your uh, suppliers' companies and bounce it off of people because the more eyes that see it, the more different aspects of thought helps to identify what is good and what is not so good. Right. And in fact, and his, the thought I had was in the business, we call it a, a quality function deployment, a QFD, which is nothing more than a matrix or, a, or almost like a table that says benefits and things that the customer wants in it, plus engineering or technical issues we have to build into it. And I'd go ahead and Google QFD or quality uh, function deployment and Google that because that is a great way of getting suppliers, customers, and employees all to give their input, and it gives you a way of organizing that data to look at it and say, okay, now what do we want to make? 
Yeah. And so now we come up with the basic concept and we're taken to these people. And things, other t things to look at may be, well, do you want one color or multiple colors? Do you want uh, one size or multiple sizes? Uh, how do you want to package it? In one at a per package or multiples per package? You know, if you had crackers, putting one cracker per package wouldn't be very good. So you do the life cycle that you want to Except if you sell to the airlines. <laughs> uh, accessories. Um, the uses. Is it a single use or multiple use? Such as the latter we discussed about. And other variables that are, you know, very important. And this drives whatever the design is. And then what we do is we go in and we go ahead and do some minor testing and finalize on our criteria. Then we move into developing a prototype. And in doing so, we may get a totally different team of people from all our representatives. But it's very important that the first team communicate yeah. to the second right. team so there's a good exchange and understanding of what the customer wants. Right. Very, very important. And what the intention was behind the design because without having that, the, their feedback is not going to be as good as it could be. Right. And so once we do that, we take and maybe do some surveys of our ideas amongst all these people and then come back and do a prototype. And now we go ahead and physically build something and we take it out again for some testing and see how it works, what the feedback is, and then finalize the prototype. And once the prototype is finalized and everything's done, this team now, their responsibility is to transition it into the production environment. That's right. And so they will be there to explain, show how all this works, so the people in production have a good understanding. And it won't be, well, here it is, production, see you later. It's a pass-off that may take even a year if it's a complicated process. But... It's winging it off slowly so there's good understanding so you reap the benefits of what of all the work you've done previously. And as a guy running manufacturing, I would say to you right here is that the one thing you don't want to do is make a major batch run. In other words, if the first time you make it, make as few as possible. Yes. So one, you can use it as learning, and two, you can take a look at where the defects are because, let's face it, if you haven't done it that way, it isn't going to go good the first couple times. Right, and lots of times when you start – before you go into production after you have the prototype, you'll take it out to the public and have possible customers to look at it and evaluate yeah. it. Good. I talked about him last week, a good friend of mine, Mike Hendren, who uh, uh, was the head of sales for uh, Ascend uh, Communications. And they were bought out about 10 years ago for the tune of about $400 million when their book value was only 40 which is an interesting story unto itself. But the, the way that they used this process was they – wanted a deal with a major retailer in the United States. And they were the only software company that said, we'll come inside and we'll build it for cost. So they built it for cost for the world's largest retailer. Then they turned around and sold it to everybody else. <laughs> so the company's only worth $40 million, and they got $400 million for the company. Well, they must have had a good legal contract then. Well, but the whole deal was is that what they did is they went in there. They did yeah. exactly what Andy's yeah. talking about, took on a customer and said, we'll give it to you for cost for the first year, and then we'll service the hell out of it. And then from that, it turned into a mega business, and their major competitor went, we can't have that happen. So they bought them out to take out their competition right. Right. as well as get the software. Yeah. 
So in closing, the, the market research establishes the analysis baseline for which we go ahead and then develop the architecture from it. And from the architecture, then we go in and do a, a little bit more research and finally come up with a um, prototype and then go into production. And in the process of doing all this, we're always striving to go ahead and include this 1% value beyond customer requirements so that in the end, um, the, the, the market it will dominate, the product will dominate in the market and uh, it will reap good benefits for the company and all their affiliates. Okay. Uh, Andy, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me on the web at www.metamorphosismc.com or go on to the show website page. And uh, I'm listed there. And if you need a good picture to scare off your rats, you got one there. Uh, that's a good picture, Andy. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for being in the studio. Thank you. This is Richmond Biz Live, 844-249-5483. And we'll be back. I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Please join me in a panel of business experts at Richmond Biz Live Talk Radio on WLEE News Talk 990. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Shuley, for a free consultation on the web at MetamorphosisMC. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live coming from the studios of WLE News Talk 990 in beautiful downtown Richmond. Okay, we've heard from Andy Schulich uh, talking about how to do the development part of that, uh, this process in terms of coming out with new products and services and making sure that you don't waste your time and money. We had Linda Heath before that talking about it from the financial end, how critical it is and where to find the financing. And uh, before we move on to the next segment where we got Ben Meredith from uh, Ben Meredith and Consulting, I believe he's got a brand new website, which we'll talk about a little bit. But first, I want to do a shout out. Uh, I want to go to my uh, colleague in the studio here, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing wonderful, Bill. Thanks for asking. And so mm -hmm. how's the week been? The week has been great. Uh, just kind of trying to stay warm out there. So it's yeah, getting, it's getting a little bit better. A little bit chilly. Out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could live in Buffalo, you know. That's right. It could be much worse. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So... And, and in that vein, I think about my partners, uh, uh, Rich Retzer out in Kansas City. I'm sure uh, Kansas City is not beautiful right now. That's right. Well, maybe it is. It's just cold. And then uh, Kevin Granger, who not only handles our Las Vegas operation, but I can only wonder what it's like in Calgary at the moment. Mm. Um, probably pretty cold. So shout out to my colleagues. Also, I'd like to do a shout out to, uh, I had a great meeting this morning, uh, one of the top salespeople at, uh, at uh, New York Life. Uh, Nancy Foster, and we had a great conversation about how do we help business owners get through this transition period of figuring out how to get, how to sell their businesses and then what to do with their money. So look, be looking uh, forward. I will be looking forward, and my listeners should be to having Nancy on the show before long. So with that, 
let's uh, roll over here, and uh, we got Ben Meredith. And Ben is uh, Ben has been a partner of mine for a long time. He's working with Mike uh, Carroll and Patrick Carroll over at its, uh, Focus uh, Business, which is part of the Sandler organization. And, Ben, I understand you got a brand-new website. We do. Just launched this morning, benmeredith.com. Okay. Take yeah, well, nobody, nobody will get confused about the ABC company. What the hell is that? No, they won't. We hope so, not, anyway. So anybody that's in the software business in this country probably knows that name, as we've talked about earlier. Um, ben was writing uh, CRM software and assembler code, as I recall, in one of our conversations. Assembler's wonderful. Uh, I mean, he's got me beat up. You know, I started, technologist. I started fooling around with uh, Commodore 64, <laughs> so you got me beat by a couple of years. All right, Ben, so where, where are we going today? Oh, well, what Andy and, and Linda had talked about uh, was developing the, developing the new products. Right. And so where do the ideas for these new products come from? Right. And we started, I think, about two shows back with Mike Carroll talking about how he would get information uh, on new products and new ideas from his vendors, as well as going through your CRM system, picking out all the information from your customers. So if your sales reps are trained so that they are capturing information from their customers as they talk to them. And we're not, you know, it's not competitive intelligence. Right. But we are trying to find out how we can better help our customers. And they're right. going to give us feedback. And those can turn into uh, our next ideas. Absolutely. Because, in fact, what, what Mike and I hit on hard is that the number one source of intelligence in any organization should be the sales force. Should be. And, and there's two reasons for it. One is they're the ones that are out there probably more than anybody else. And number two is that in the sales process, it's a competitive advantage. If you're doing research on your customers and helping them deal with the realities of business, they'll always take the sales call. And they're the feet on the street. Anybody who yeah. touches a customer, which it should be anybody, everybody in your organization. Right. But the guys on the factory floor, a lot of times, just don't have the bandwidth to get this done. But Salesforce, no excuse. Yeah. So any, anybody inside or outside sales, if they're touching a customer, they should be selling and they should be gathering information also. That's right. And again, it has to be recorded somewhere or it doesn't really count. That is true. That is very true because it, the one thing that's in their head, it's another that it's in some CRMs somewhere. Yeah, and we, there's a lot of lot of problems with end-user adoption because sales reps don't get paid for keying data into a computer. That's right. They just don't. Uh, so find a way to do that. If you have trouble with the sales team, find a way to get that information and get it captured. If it has to be dictated, if you have to have somebody to transcribe it, whatever it needs to do, that needs to be, really need to be captured because that will be the base of your next generation of products. Probably. Okay. All right, so let's talk about this idea of new product and service development as part of the reinvention of the firm. And let's talk about it from a marketing and sales perspective. Andy talked about it from building it, and Linda talked about from financing it. Let's talk about it as a, as a marketing and sales guy. Okay. I kind of like, I, I like to approach things from the technology perspective because that's where I've been all my life. Right. I, I tend to wander right into, you know, coffee shops and other places, but I really like technology. So if you look at the cost of developing new products now as to, as to what they were 10 or 15 years ago, it, it's hardly any it, – there's no comparison. You look at the cost of uh, storage at Amazon, uh, it's, it's three cents a gigabyte a month. Right. Uh, if you need to spin up a server on Amazon, it's 1.3 cents per hour. I mean, that was a quarter-million-dollars investment 10 or 15 years ago. Absolutely was. So, so being able to take those – resources and leverage new products on the technology side and, and in software, the cloud has given us just marvelous opportunities. So developing new products 
you can throw premium, oh, excuse me, premium products right. uh, almost left and right as market tests. Right. Uh, what some work, some don't, and you can keep tweaking and tweaking until you get to a product that you can start charging for. Right. And and for those of you not familiar with the premium concept, is I'll pick one Hootsuite, and Hootsuite was a a platform where if you if you were into social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, MySpace, run down the list, you with Hootsuite could put all of those passcodes in and manage all of them from one site. As a matter of fact, you could put ahead of time the post that you want to put in as far as, I believe, a week. Well, Hootsuite used to be free. And then once you got used to it and it's indispensable, if you're going to do a lot of social media marketing, now it costs. Yeah, I know. I paid the bill yesterday on Hootsuite. <laughs> Zoho uh, has had a marvelous success with that. Oh, yeah. Well, Zoho used to give everything away until you get the three bodies. Yeah. Perfect model. Yep. The and, fourth body cost. And now they have a CRM suite of $50 a month. Wow. Good stuff. Now, Google, on the other hand, doesn't really have a problem. They have the resources to just throw things out against the wall all day long and just see what sticks. That's right. The uh, uh, nice thing I saw about Google yesterday, being able to monetize new products. Of course, they charge for ads. I mean, that's right. marketing and advertising what, what really drives Google and the Internet. Um, a report I saw yesterday, and I had to read it in a little bit more depth, but we're always presented with ads when you go to, mar to uh, websites. Well, Google now has a way to, if you pay them a dollar or two or three dollars a month, they can remove the ads from the sites that you want. Oh, interesting. Totally new market. Who would have thought you pay somebody pays to get on your site, and then you pay to get off. Yes. I love it. Now they get paid on both sides of this. So now how did you how did they come up with that? Okay, but, I, I, I'm I'm sure somebody's yeah. smart inside. Now in, in Google, they've got uh, their their Project X, uh, which I think Sergey Brin and Astro Teller are probably running. Okay, but they're just throwing out new products. That's where Google Glass came from. The driverless yep. cars, uh, all the new technology. But they really have the resources to drive things that nobody else could really right. In a small Thanks business like that we run, we don't have the R&D budget. What we got to do is we got to do that collaborative, you know, thinking with employees, suppliers, customers, and come up with it. And actually, it gives us an advantage because most R&D centers don't produce much because they're isolated to the experts and not to the users. Yep. They had them off in a corner somewhere. That's right. And when you start looking at uh, the new products and how do we, how we develop those in the collaboration side, um, the first two pieces in new product development are, are managing the process, idea generation and idea creation. And those are great, uh, great places for mind mapping, if you're familiar with that technology. Yeah, yeah I am. Uh, so being able to map out these processes in a very collaborative environment and really blue sky what can possibly happen and then start winnowing down. So if you've got products that you can actually now take and develop, and then once they get commoditized and they're out in the community, then you start tweaking the pricing and hopefully right. have another winner. Right. Okay. All right. So we come up with a couple of different models about how to test this. Now, what else you got? What else do we have? The easiest way to bring new products, if I, we can just go front to back, right. on the idea of creation and generation, start using leverage from technology yourself, uh, bringing something like mind maps or bring people into a room where you can start Blue skying, generating information from, excuse me, generating ideas from your contact with your customers and your prospects, and then carrying that through uh, a test phase. And if you're, again, in the software environment, you're, 
resources are very, very low. Com- excuse me, your costs are very low compared to what they used to be. Um, taking that and using that for a test market, uh, I think Linda has talked about crowd uh, crowdfunding and, yeah, that, and other yeah, ways she to did. get started. I'm looking forward to that, the, too. The technology side, uh, being able to launch new products and get new ideas, most of these, most, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of these are coming from people that, you know, 15 years ago, they were riding bicycles. That's, that's or 20 right. years ago. Right. Uh, now they're developing software products and making more money than you or I combined. So the ideas that they're coming up with and being able to push those out into the marketplace, uh, the, the pace of this is just phenomenal. There are new products coming out just any time you think about it. That's right. Uh, and, again, a good portion of that is being leveraged by cloud computing and the cost being driven down by being able to leverage uh, products like Amazon and Google and Microsoft Azure. And I think Amazon is really driving driving your price. It's almost a race to zero now. Who can who can give you the most storage and the most services for free? I, I would say that if I had to make a prediction is that Amazon and Google would be the two to watch because they've got totally different business models on the one hand, and on the other hand, they're converging. It'll be a fun convergence. Yeah, they're converging because if you if you lately have you seen what Amazon is doing, they're doing a lot of things that Google is doing, and Google is doing a lot of things that Amazon yes. is doing. And, and Microsoft so, is standing back, warning what happened. Well, you know when your when your business model is not open source. Here we go. I'll plug it again. Your business model is not open source. You got problems. But Microsoft is getting ready to open source. They just uh, opened source yeah. .net last week. Yeah, you know what? Before. You know, it, you know what it sounds like. They're going to adopt Steam as we go to diesel. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if I can make this nautical. So, you had to make a nautical reference. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it all comes down to finding a need, or again, talking to your customers and prospects. Find a need or create a need. And once you've done that, find a way to fill it. Mm-hmm. And again, from the technology perspective, there are a dozen different ways you could attack virtually any problem. Okay. And uh, so uh, in two weeks when you're back, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about trying to maintain price integrity. And then I think we've got generalization because one of, the, one of the key issues here is that when you get into the market and uh, uh, you've developed a product based upon what you think you can charge – and then what happens, because you didn't design it correctly, you didn't have a spec partner, you did it on spec, you didn't have a partner to install it with, then suddenly you got a brand new product and you have to put it on sale to get anybody to use it. That is a disaster. Market forces and competition. Disaster. You, you want to go out, you want to be a small business and go out of business real fast is develop the wrong thing. And so, so, and then I think we're going to be talking about generalization after that in terms of, okay, I sold it to this one company. Now, how do I modify it? So I can sell to everybody. So with that, okay. So Ben Meredith, benmeredith.com is the new website. Anything related to automation of sales, Ben's the guy to talk to. You need to go to his website. Um, I believe I have his mug up on our site under resources. So you can click that button and go over there as well. So it's not frightening pictures. Okay. So I'll see you at Baycon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ben. All right. A couple of thoughts here as we kind of close the show out is that, we ran a little long in a couple segments, but uh, we were we were having a great conversation. Is the where we stand here now as a company is that we have covered all the things that you've got to do to develop that new product. Now the issue is how do I get acceptance in the marketplace? How do I maintain price um, integrity around that product? 
and then how do I market and sell this new generalized product so that I actually can make some really good money on it. And that is really the essence of reinvention because reinvention is not necessarily changing the process inside the company because in fact that should have happened earlier. This is about the company runs well. We've got as much out of the current offer as we're going to get. Now we don't want to sell. We want to go further. So therefore we're going to have to change what we offer. And the rule of thumb is sell to who you already have. So whatever is new, go there. Then you go to adjacent markets to sell to people that you don't have, but they look like the people that you have. And what you want to avoid is new products going after new customers. Because if you're under $10 million I will in revenue, I will guarantee you do not have enough marketing dollars to create the pull in the marketplace to get that done. And so with that, um, we're, uh, we will have our show uh, next Friday. It's going to be pre-recorded. Um, we're going to be doing something interesting with that, and I'll announce that as part of the show. So with that, have a great week. Look, for, I'm looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving holidays and wealth and prosperity to our listener. Have a good day. This is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week.